morning. Hey, for those of you I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor around here. And most weekends, I get to preach, um, not so much through the summer. We did some other things through the summer, but now we're back. It is fall, officially. I'm going to keep saying it, and it's going to keep getting cooler, but uh, it is fall officially, and we're doing a study together through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and get to Galatians, whether that's a print Bible or whether you use the device, we will put it on the screen for you as well. Um, but we started off, kicked it off last week. I would encourage you to go check that out to get some context for the book of Galatians. Who are these people? Uh, they were kind of an oddity in the area. Um, they were in um, Asia Minor, that area, but they were originally a people from the border of France and Germany called the Gauls. And so they had migrated across through Italy, through Greece, into this area of the world. They were kind of strange because they had blonde hair, but they were living with a lot of people who did not have blonde hair. And so uh, they had a reputation, kind of a bad one, of uh, being very transient and fickle. Uh, we read a quote from Julius Caesar about the Gauls last year, and it was not too nice what he had to say about them. And so Paul is the author of this letter. We're going to talk a lot more about Paul today because he went through the area, through this area on his first missionary journey, and he introduced them to the gospel, this good news that is really simple and clear. And it's, it's this, that we are sinful people but God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus, fully God and fully man, gave his life on the cross in our place and rose again on the third day. And the way that we can be justified or made right in front of God it is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. We believe in Jesus Christ and God gives us his grace. He does the work. He gives the grace. But we put our faith in him. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, then we are a child of God. We are saved. And that's it. That's it. It's that simple. Now, that's the simplicity of becoming a child of God just by putting your faith in Jesus. That is something that is very hard for people to wrap their head around. Because in our minds, it's like, no, we have to do something, right? <laughs> I mean, there has to be some standard. There has to be some prerequisite. Certainly, you've got to like get some sin cleaned up in your life, or you've got to, maybe you've got to be baptized, or you've got to do something, right? That's something that doesn't resonate, that idea of a, a free grace gospel, which is what Paul teaches. And if you want a reference on that, just check out the entire series we did on the book of Romans. Uh, we did it from fall last year until summer this year. It took almost a year to go through Romans and, and sh showed how Paul teaches this free grace gospel. He comes into Galatia. He gives them this gospel. And no sooner has he left than other people come in behind him and they go, hey, Galatians, no, 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 no. I know, I know Paul. I know that's what Paul said, but it's not that simple. There's more to it. He only gave you part of the story. And frankly, he's not even really an apostle. <laughs> All right. They came in and they questioned his authority and they questioned his message. And they told the people in Galatia, they said, yeah, yeah, obviously you have to put your faith in Jesus. But then you also have to do all of these things from the law. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to remember the Sabbath. You also have to observe the feasts and the festivals. You also have to change your diet. Yeah, it's belief in Jesus, but it's Jesus plus this other stuff. It's not as simple as Paul made it out to be. And Paul finds out that no sooner had he left, these people came in and the Galatians bought it. And he said, last, this is from our scripture last week. He said, I can't believe you so quickly turned your back on what I taught you. 
I can't believe you changed so quickly. Now, they had a reputation of that, but he couldn't believe it, and it broke his heart. And so the reason that he writes this letter to them is a response to that. The reason he writes this letter is because he wants them to be confident and rooted in the real gospel, the real truth. And then he wants them to understand how you live that out. And that's what we're going to walk through. He wants them to know the facts. He wants them to know how to put their faith in it. And then he wants them to know what the fruit of that is going to be. So that's why we're talking about facts, faith, and fruit in this series. Now, one of the things they did, and this is what we're going to deal with today, is they questioned Paul's authority or his motives in sharing the message that he shared. They said, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's not really an apostle. And so they questioned his authority. And that's what he's going to deal with in our text today. So we're in Galatians chapter 1. And um, we're going to understand by the time all is said and done, not only them understanding how they can trust Paul, but hopefully by the time we get to the end of our text today, you will be at a point where you can trust Paul and his motives in his writing of the Gospels in this letter that we're going to be studying. All right, Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. That's where we are, picking up in 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, so let's talk about this verse. He's, he's setting up his motives. All right, first of all, the word, now we read from, generally from the New King James here. I like the way the New King James translates most of, um, particularly the New Testament. Um, this is a place where there's a, there's a word choice here that I'm not sure is the best translation, and it's the, where he says, for do I now persuade men or God? That word persuade, it doesn't really get the essence of it, and it sounds like what he's saying is that he's either persuading men or he's persuading God. He wouldn't be persuading God. He, he wouldn't be saying that. Uh, the word, the, it it's hard because we don't have a great word. And so you got to make a choice when you're translating. Um, But I think a better sort of idea is the idea of buddying up to somebody. (laughs) So like in order to, in order to have a relationship with them. So he's saying like, so what do you think? Do you think that I'm buddying up to people, to men? Or do you think I'm buddying up to God? Which do you think is my motivation? And then I I think that the subtext of this is he wants them to also run the people who, the other people that are influencing them, the, the legalists that are coming in, he wants them to run them through the same filter. But am I persuading man or am I buddying up to man or am I buddying up to God? Or do I seek to please men? Is that what you think I'm doing? Or for if I still pleased men, and the indication is that he used to do this, if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So what he's being accused of, it seems, the best word I could think of is the word pandering. He's being accused of pandering to his audience. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say that word, all I can think of is a person in a panda suit. Okay, I can, all I can do is visualize. A, you're seeing the Do Perfect videos with panda? Like, I, that's all I can picture. But I think the word is right because, because pandering is when you change the truth to suit your audience. So the accusation against Paul is that he's changing the truth in order to suit his audience. He's changing the truth or giving a half-truth, leaving out part of the truth in an effort to get people to respond. Now, that's not what Paul is doing, but that's what he's accused of doing because they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he only told you part of it. Yes, you got to put your faith in Jesus, but also he didn't want to tell you this because he thought you would react badly to it. You also have to do all this other stuff. 
Now, that's not what Paul's doing, but that's what he's accused of doing. It is a very important thing for us to be on the lookout for this, though, because this is really common. I mean, this is what, this is what politicians do, right? <laughs> like, especially at the highest levels, right? Garner influence and garner a group of people and draw a crowd by telling people what they want to hear, right? And to focusing on the things that they want to hear and not giving the whole truth and, and everything. It can happen so often in the church. We have to be on the lookout for it. Now, we are supposed to take the truth and make it, it doesn't need help, but to present it in, a, in an attractive way, in a compelling way. But we should never change the truth or leave out the whole truth in an effort to get people to respond a certain way to it. So we need to make sure that the influences that are around us are telling us the whole truth. And the way you do that is running it through the lens of Scripture. Use Scripture as your filter for that, not people's ideas. I one time... Um, this is, this is just an example of it. I, one time, and kind of the damage it could do or the, the confusion it could cause, um, I one time was doing ministry with someone who was a tremendous preacher and, and very evangelistic. But when they shared the gospel, they would only talk about the cross and not about the resurrection. Okay, they would only talk about the cross and not about the resurrection because the, the cross is more emotional and they were really good at getting to that emotional place where they talked about Christ and his suffering and what he endured on your behalf and then they would call people to respond to that and put their faith in Jesus. All right, and they were tremendous at it. But I would constantly be like, hey, you gotta tell them the whole truth. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta at least mention the resurrection so that they know that he rose again. And really our faith is in him, not because he died. Everybody has done that, except for you and me uh, so far. But the, the, the real good news is that he rose again. Okay, so that's, that's the good news. That's the news of life. So I said, you gotta share that. You have to share that. And no matter how hard I tried with this person, they just, for some reason, wouldn't do it, couldn't do it. It wasn't, wasn't in their brain to do it. And my fear was always that someone was gonna come to a service where they were preaching, hear about Jesus dying on the cross and put their faith in Jesus for salvation, which is awesome. But then they were gonna get to work the next day, tell the person at the cubicle sitting next to them, and the person sitting next to them was gonna go, you actually believe that guy rose again back to life? What's that now? You know, it's a, it's a bait and switch. You have to give, you have to give the, the whole story, but also not add to it. There, there, there's a really, there's a huge temptation when you're influencing people or speaking to people to try and tell them what they want to hear. It's a lot easier to get people to go along with you that way. It's a great way to build a crowd, quite frankly. And so if you hear pastors who are, you know, all the, the, the whole message is God wants to give you everything you want. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and all of this. Be very careful about that message because it's not, it's pulling people in on the wrong truth. Okay. The promise we have is not of health and wealth. We, we do have victory in Christ and we have victory when Christ returns. And yes, but all the promise for us in scripture is suffering. So if you're getting all victory and no suffering, that's an unbalanced message. And that can, be, that can easily be pandering. That's the, the motive behind it. That's what Paul is accused of doing. That's why we have to have discernment. But that's not what he was doing. That's not what he was doing. He said, do I seek to please men? Is that what you think I'm doing? I can almost hear that, that sort of tenor in his voice. Like, you guys know me, don't you? Do you really think that's what I'm doing? 
Do you think I'm just saying this message because people are going to like it or it's going to make it more palatable to people or whatever? No. You see, I can't do that. I can't be a servant of people in that way. I can't bow to people's desires and all of that and also be a bondservant of Christ. I can't do both at the same time. And the insinuation of Paul is, I am going to say what Jesus tells me to say, regardless of how people react to it, whether they like it, whether it suits human knowledge or wisdom or logic or philosophy or any of that. I'm going to tell you what Jesus has told me, period. And I can't seek to please people and be a bondservant, or the word he uses is a slave of Christ. That's the way he looks at himself. Now, I know that word carries a lot of connotation with us, and rightly so because of what it's meant in our culture. But this is the way that that Paul looks at himself with Christ. He said, Christ is my master. How could he be my master, but a person could be too? It doesn't work that way. And so Paul is focused on being faithful to Christ. Now, the picture that I get with this, I don't know why, I was, as I was studying, I got this, this visualization of a kid at a baseball game. And the kid goes, and he, he goes up to the plate, and there's, there's a crowd of people in the stands, but his, his dad's in the stands too. And he steps up to the plate, and the pitch comes in, and he takes a swing, and he hits the ball, and he hits it right over the second baseman's head and runs the first for a single. And he immediately turns around, and while the whole crowd is cheering for the single, Who's he looking for? Dad, right? I want to know how dad is reacting to this. That's the only thing that matters right now. Same thing. Kid gets up to the plate and the pitch comes in and he takes a swing and he whiffs. Strike three. And as he walks back to the dugout, nobody's saying anything. One jerk is booing. Right? Everybody's avoiding eye contact. Same thing though. What are you looking for? What's the kid looking for? Looking to dad. What does dad think of me right now? This is the mentality of Paul and a whole crowd of people and all their reactions and all of their thoughts and all of that. He doesn't care. All he cares about is what is true. If Jesus is pleased, not any of the other fans in the stands, all right? He said, I can't. For if I still pleased man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. All right, verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is defending the purity of his message, the singularity of his message. First, he says this is not according to man. It means that this is not a gospel, this is not a message that is built on human wisdom or logic. This is not something that came out of the head of a person. This is really important as a filter for the truth because often we are, we are God gave us the ability to reason and the ability, to, he gave us logic and he gave us the ability to think things through. But if we're not careful, we will turn our logic and our reason into a filter for the truth. And if something doesn't match what is reasonable to us or something doesn't match what is logical to us or within the realm of understanding, then we'll reject and we'll say, ah, that can't be true. 
But if we do that, what's happened is we have made our own ability to think God. And a lot of people will come to Scripture and will reject truths of Scripture because it's illogical without realizing that God exists. God created logic. God created our ability to think. He operates outside the principles of time and space and all of that. And so God's truth doesn't have to match human logic. He's saying this didn't come out of a human brain. You know what comes out of a human brain? Religion comes out of a human brain. Religion, works-based righteousness, comes out of the human brain. What, what is the human way to think? That reward should be based on merit, right? That's what we all go to. Reward should be based on merit. The people who get things should earn those things. They should deserve those things. Okay, so who should be saved then when we think about God? Well, human thinking, human logic, who should be saved? The good people should be saved. The people, the best people should be saved. The people who are righteous should be saved. The people who do good things should be saved. The people who have earned it should be saved. Okay, so how do we measure who has earned it? We need a system of rules to categorize. We need a system of laws. We need a system of rules to measure people by so that we know who the good people are and who the bad people are and who's earned salvation and who hasn't earned salvation, who has lost it. But Paul is saying, that's not the gospel. Which is why I'm telling you, this didn't come out of a man's brain. Almost every other religion in the world works on a works-based righteousness system. But Paul is saying, this is not my idea. This is Jesus' idea. He doesn't think like you and I think. And this gospel is better than what we would create. So no, it is not according to man. And then he says, I didn't receive it from man. This is not something that I dreamed up in my own head. This is not an idea that I came up with. He says, nor was I taught it. It wasn't someone else who influenced me. It wasn't someone else who put this idea on me. No, he said, I it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said, this message was shared directly with me by Jesus Christ. Cut out the middleman. No middleman. Straight from Jesus to Paul. Now, how did that happen? When did it happen? There is some debate over that because it's a little bit ambiguous. There's a few times it could have been or it might have been all of these things. When Paul... Uh, we're going to talk about his history here in just a minute, so we'll, we'll get there and fill in some of these gaps. But when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus face to face, Jesus in his resurrected form, this is what makes Paul an apostle, but slightly different than the other apostles who actually walked with Jesus and saw him in his, his bodily physical form. Paul met Jesus face to face in his spiritual form, is described as a light and then he goes to Damascus. And so some say it was on that road, it was on that journey, the rest of the way to Damascus that Jesus revealed this gospel to him. It's possible that he did it in a, in a moment, right, when, when Paul received that, God, that it, this was revealed to him instantly. There's also a period of time we're gonna read about where he spent some time in Damascus in an Arabia, about a three-year period of time. Might've been in that time when he was searching the scriptures and studying the scriptures. But Jesus revealed this to him directly. 
And so it's not something that is jaded. It's not something that's biased. It's not something that is corrupted by human nature or thinking. He said this came straight from Jesus. This is Jesus' truth, not Paul's, and Paul will not change it for anyone. All right, let's go to verse 13. For you have heard, this is Paul kind of giving his his resume, his story. For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So a little bit about Paul, if you're not familiar with him. Paul is a Roman by birth, but raised um, a Jew. He became a Pharisee, which was the experts in the law. He knew the Old Testament law inside and out, had most of it memorized, knew the prophets, knew all the messianic prophecies about this, this Messiah that was coming, was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He excelled above his other contemporaries. He's mentioned other places in history and at that time went by the name Saul, by the way. All right, Saul, if you see Saul and Paul in the Bible, that's the same person, goes by two different names, Hebrew name and, and a, a Roman name, okay? And by the way, just a little factoid, some people say that God changed Paul's name. That's not actually true. Um, he is called Saul in the book of Acts. He's called Saul right up until one point where it says, this is what the verse says, Saul, who was also called Paul, and then the rest of Acts, he's called Paul. So it's just two names, and he seemed to strategically go by Paul so that he could minister better to the Gentiles later in his ministry. So Saul, Paul, same guy. But Saul was a Pharisee, and he was highly zealous and committed to the traditions of, the, of, the, of Judaism and expert in the law. He was so zealous, in fact, um, uh, the book of Acts talks about him before he converts to Christianity and says that when, when the church started, they needed help um, uh, with the, the distribution of food to the widows and the orphans, to the poor. And so the, the apostles couldn't handle that. So they assigned people to take care of that called deacons. And the first one was a man named Stephen, a man full of faith in the spirit. And Stephen, one day, a very important guy, was preaching the gospel And the people were getting so angry with him for preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the Christ. They were so angry with him that they began beating him and throwing stones at him. And they ripped his clothes off. They ripped his cloak off of him while they were doing this. And they took that cloak and they laid it down at the feet of a Pharisee named Saul. And Saul consented to the brutal execution of Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death, and Paul, Saul, approved of it. The scripture tells us that he was making havoc of the church. It was like like a sport to him. He would go into towns, and he would find all of the Christians, men and women, and he would round them up, and he would chain them, and he would take them and put them in prison. Scripture says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so one day, Saul goes to, uh, he goes to the, the leader and says, give me permission to go to Damascus and find every single Christian in that city and chain them and bring them back and put them in prison. 
So Paul is talking about his zealousness and how, how you know, brutal he was and how committed he was to the law because he wants the Galatians to know, I'm telling you this message of free grace in Christ apart from the law. But listen, he's like, I'm a law guy. If ever there has been anyone committed to the law, it was me. If ever there was going to be a person who was going to tell you it's Jesus plus the law, plus all these rules, it would be me. I'm the law guy. And I'm telling you that it is not. And so he is going to Damascus to persecute the Christians there. And on the way, he sees this light. He sees Jesus in his resurrected form. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, it is I, Jesus, who you persecute. And Saul says, what do you want me to do, Lord? <laughs> he flips like that. Now, this is, this is speculation. But I have to believe that Saul, who had, who had given his life to the law and the prophecies of the, of the Messiah coming, had rejected Jesus as the Messiah but I have to believe there was always this fight within him. Now, this is speculation, okay? So hear me on that. But there was this fight within him. Is Jesus the Messiah or is he not the Messiah? He's not. He's not. He can't be. I don't know if you ever, have you ever noticed how people tend to fight hardest against the things that they themselves struggle with? Have you ever noticed that? That when someone struggles with something themselves, their reaction is to go overboard against it in other people? And so maybe that twinge was there, but when, he, when, Jesus, when uh, Paul was face-to-face -face with the resurrected Jesus in front of him, he instantly recognized who he was and what, what he wanted, that he was the Messiah. And so Paul is blinded by this light. He goes into Damascus uh, to a place called a House on a Straight Street, and he's there for three days. No, no, like, that wasn't coincidental. He's there for three days, and he's blinded. And then God speaks to a man named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this house on Straight Street. There you're going to find a man who's blind. His name is Saul. And I want you to, I want you to, to, to minister to him. And uh, Ananias is like, nope, I know who Saul is. <laughs> Don't want to go there. Okay, I've heard about this guy and he's not in Damascus for a good reason. And God says, no, 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 go. And so Ananias goes and it says something like scales falls from Paul's eyes and he can once again see. And once Paul can see, then he gives his life over to proclaiming the message of the gospel, the gospel which was given directly to him by Jesus himself. And interestingly, Paul, from what we can tell, struggles with his eyesight the rest of his life as a result likely of this. In fact, we're going to see that at the end of Galatians. When he writes, you see how he says, I wrote this with my own hand. This is how important this is. And that's not easy for Paul to do. But Paul gives his life over and converts. And then verse um, 15. And actually, you know, we say that just as a side point. We say Paul converted to Christianity, but he really didn't. Like conversion, conversion is what happens when you go from one thing to another. When you go from one religion to another. Like you, you might convert from like Islam to Judaism or whatever. You might, that's conversion in my mind. What Paul did wasn't really conversion because coming out of a Jewish tradition, the Jewish faith, 
And accepting Jesus as your Messiah is not actually a change. It's recognizing what is actually true. It's actually just the continuation of your faith. Right, so, so Paul was doing the most Jewish thing he could do in accepting Jesus as the Messiah because he was. So it's not really conversion. But anyway, all right, verse 15. But when it pleased God, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. One really interesting thing in this passage is the, the word choice that Paul uses. When he said it pleased God, who, who, who took me from my mother's womb and who called me by his grace, or by, by his grace, he says, when it pleased him to reveal Christ in me. It's a very specific word, and it seems like an odd word. To reveal Christ in him. What does that mean? Shouldn't it be when he revealed Christ to him? Or maybe it's ministry related and say, when he revealed Christ through him. But he says, when you revealed Christ in me. And in the commentaries, as I was doing research for the message this weekend, a lot of theologians spent a lot of time on that one little word. What does this mean? And I, I think it's Personally, I think it's a very simple concept that Christ in Paul wasn't just being revealed, Christ being revealed to Paul or just being revealed through Paul. It was all of it. It was that, that Paul in and of himself saw himself as a living, breathing, walking, talking representation of the gospel. Me, a law guy, me, a law follower, me, a Jesus persecutor, met face to face with Jesus, accepted him by faith, received the grace of God, and my life has totally changed. And my mentality has totally changed. And my approach to God has totally changed. And my approach to other people has totally changed. Because of Christ in me. When we look at ourselves and we think about our relationship with God, is it just that God revealed himself to you and you said yes? It, or is it that you are a walking, talking, breathing, living, breathing representation of the gospel, that you are the gospel walking in the world. You are a representation of Jesus, that I'm not going to live according to all those old standards. I'm going to live according to the spirit because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. He said he revealed his son in me that I might preach him to the Gentiles. That was Paul's mission, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he said, when that happened, my first step was not to go to Jerusalem to James and to Peter, to John. It wasn't to go to them. I let Jesus teach me. I let Jesus teach me. It's not something that he learned from the apostles. It wasn't taught to him by a person. Christ was revealed in him. And that, for Paul, verifies the purity of this message. It is unbiased. It is unadulterated. This is the truth. He cut out the middleman. This is something that I personally really resonate with. It's really important to me to do as much as possible, try not to be influenced by outside sources, but to be influenced by the first source. And for me, that's scripture. It's one of the reasons that, if you're new around here, you may not know this, but um, 
It's one of the reasons that I haven't been to seminary. Now, I came into, I came into ministry sort of lateral entry, okay? I kind of slid into ministry rather than following the course of going to undergraduate and then graduate and doing, you know, all of that, that sort of path. Kind of slid into ministry. But I've had opportunities over the years to start seminary, do seminary online, and I've decided not to. And the reason I've decided not to is because seminaries, as great as the education is that you get in a seminary, Seminaries all have a particular theological and doctrinal stance on things. Beliefs beyond just the core things of Scripture. And the classes that you take in seminary indoctrinate you into that belief system. And then they evaluate you based on your adherence to that belief system. And I personally, as a follower of Jesus, don't want to be influenced in a box like that. I want to be free to go where the scripture takes me. It's also part of the reason that our church is not affiliated with a denomination. Because denominations have particular theological and doctrinal stances, and every church within that denomination needs to live within those things. And I fear that there are pastors all over the place that are not able to be honest to the scripture because they are restricted by the beliefs of their denomination. And I think we as a church need to be free to go where the Bible takes us. So Paul, what Paul is saying is, I didn't let anyone else outside influence the development of this message, the development of this gospel. I received it directly from Jesus. Now, I'm not Paul, and I haven't received the, that message directly from Jesus, but I have the Scripture. And I receive my truth directly from the Scripture. And that's where you should receive it as well. And it is true, it is true regardless of how people react to it. It is true regardless of what people do with it. It is true regardless of people take advantage of it. There's some people that say, well, it can't be a free grace gospel because, I mean, someone could accept Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, become a child of God, and then go through their whole life in sin. You're right. They could. Now, there's going to be tons of consequences for that here and now, and there's going to be a huge loss of reward later when, when Christ brings his kingdom. But the truth doesn't change because of what people do with it. The truth is the truth. And Paul says, this is the truth. I received it directly from Jesus, and I'm not going to let anybody change that. And hey, I'm the law guy. So you can trust me when I say that it doesn't work that way. Now, if you're going to live outside of those confines, if you were, what you have to do is you have to develop a tremendous amount of discernment. And you have to develop a tremendous commitment to rigorous study of the scripture and knowing what the scripture actually says. Be careful because people will tell you what they think the scripture says and it doesn't necessarily mean that's what the scripture actually says. So commit yourself to rigorous study of the scripture. This is one of the beautiful things about living in the time that we have. You live in a day and age where you have almost unlimited access to the scripture. You, you, have, you, you, have, you have the ability to, to study words and phrases. You have the ability to do research. You have the ability, you have the Bible with you at all times if you have a phone in your pocket. You can read scripture whenever you want. There were times and places where Christians didn't have that. And they, they could only live based on what their spiritual leaders told them. And you can see through the years the, the tragedies and the travesties that that created. In the church, it's the whole reason the Protestant Reformation had to happen. Because 
the leaders of the Catholic Church were not being true to what the Scripture actually said about life and faith. And so finally, they were able to put the Bible into print with the advent of the printing press. They were able to put the Bible into print, translate it into a language people could read. And when they distributed that out to people, people went, oh my goodness, this doesn't say what they all said it said. Right? And today, you have the opportunity to study and to research and to look into it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Study it for yourself. So that we're all going back to the primary source instead of people's opinions about the primary source. Paul says, I took it from the primary source. I got this directly from Jesus. And then, just so we know that he didn't operate in a vacuum, all right, verse 18. Then after three years, oh, and let me back up. I didn't, I didn't address this. You might have a question about it. Um, he says he converted in Damascus, but he didn't immediately go to Jerusalem. Then he went to Arabia and then back to Damascus. Um, there's a little confusion around that because people, we think Saudi Arabia. So people are like, oh, he went down to the, the tip of the Sinai you know, Peninsula or whatever. No, Arabia was the region that Damascus was in, okay? And, and Mount Sinai was also there, but um, it, that was the region he was in. So basically he said, I spent some time in Damascus. Then I went to the outlying areas for a little while. We don't know exactly what he did, whether he was just retreating to learn and put this, you know, to, to get his thoughts together or whether he was actually preaching. Um, but then he comes back to Damascus and some people threaten his life and they have to lower him in a basket out the a window down the side of the wall of the city. And eventually he makes it down to Jerusalem. Okay. So then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. This is verse 18 and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. So he's saying, I, I, developed, I received this from Jesus, but then I did go confer with the other apostles and confirm. So this is verification of the gospel that he had received. Afterward, verse 21, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. Who, he, who per, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God in me. So he said, I didn't hang out in Judea. That's where Jerusalem was. He, didn't, he said, I didn't hang out there. I, I left and went on my mission to the Gentiles. But word got around that this guy who once used to be the lawman, who once used to be the persecutor, who once used to be the zealous Pharisee, that now he has given his life to Christ and to the message of the gospel. The bottom line is his message is good. It's not built on human wisdom. It's not influenced by someone with an agenda. It's not designed to pander to people's desires. It's not a power grab. This message is straight from Jesus. Paul says, straight from Jesus and demonstrated in me. So we can trust it. And I can assure you this message that Paul shared, it didn't bring him power. It didn't bring him wealth or possessions. It didn't bring him an easy life. The only thing that it brought Paul was suffering. And he suffered over and over and over and over again. Beatings and ridicule, imprisonments. Yet he never wavered on the truth because he was solely focused on pleasing Jesus and sharing his message. 
Even if it meant that people were going to try to stone him to death. Even if it meant being thrown in prison. Even if it meant being put on a ship back to Rome. He was going to be true to the message of Jesus above all things. And so I say we can trust him. As he was led by the Spirit, as he wanted the Galatians to trust him, we can trust him. To know that he was led by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit, that these are the very words of Jesus through him to us. And so he pressed on and he shared the good news. And he went back through Galatia eventually to reaffirm this to them. Good news that has been passed all the way back down to us. All the way to us. That we can be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. And then we can choose to live our life with a singular purpose. To please Jesus with everything that we do. In the power of the Spirit. And so here, I got two questions. They're simple. First one is, have you accepted Jesus Christ by faith? Have you put your faith in Jesus for salvation? Knowing that he died on the cross for you and he rose again on the third day, have you trusted him for salvation and received his grace? If you've never done that before, there's no, there's no reason to wait. Do you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? Put your faith in him right now. Maybe you would signify, you don't have to, but maybe you would signify that with a prayer and you pray to him and say, I realize that I've sinned. I know that I've failed you. And I know that I can't save myself. And so I'm trusting Jesus to save me today. And it is that simple. By trusting in him, you become a child of God. Now, the rest of your life, you have a lot of decisions to make. And they will make the difference between whether you are faithful to God or not. They'll make a difference between the kind of reward that you receive in the kingdom. But your starting point today is to put your faith in him. My second question, for those of you that have done that before, or maybe even if you just did it right now, are you committing your life to Christ in the same way and with the same intensity that Paul did? Are you, when you think about your life, is it you with God over here or is it Christ revealed in you? Are you becoming him in a way, in a symbolic way? Are you committing your life to being more and more and more like Jesus? And when you see areas where you're not, allowing him to take over and lead you. See, one day Christ is going to return. I pray that's before I go to see him. I hope he comes back first. One day Christ is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom here. And we're going to receive reward based on how faithful we were. And I want to be living my life, and I pray that you want to be living your life in such a way that when he returns, we have our head held high. And we say, Jesus, I look as much like you as I possibly can. I look as much like you as I possibly can. So we're ready for that day when he returns. But it's so easy for us to live life as people pleasers, what Paul was accused of doing. 
It's so easy for us to live our life changing the truth, whether that's in our own mind or whether it's in the way we, we communicate to other people. To, to dumb it down to the human the fulfillment of human desires when it's so much better than that. Are you committed to a life with Christ and walking in the Spirit? One day, Christ is going to return here and he's going to be the king of this world as it should be. He's not right now. Right now, Satan is the king of this world. We have to be on the watch. We have to be on the lookout. So what our commitment needs to be is in the midst of this sinful fallen world is to say, I want Jesus to be on the throne of my heart. I will put him on the throne of my heart. And he may not be the king of this world, but he's going to be the king of my heart. And so I'm going to follow him with the same kind of commitment, the same kind of servanthood that Paul was committed to serving Christ and say, my life is his. And I am following him and I'm letting him direct my thoughts and letting him direct my actions and letting him direct my words and letting him direct my decisions. He is on the throne and I am following and serving him and preparing for the day when he really will be on the throne here and we will follow and serve him. Is he in that place in your life? So let's go to him in prayer now as we get ready to continue studying this book, trusting what God has revealed and making a commitment now to have the same position as Paul did. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we come to you and want you to know how much we deeply love you and are thankful for you. You are good. And we are not. Yet you have given us the opportunity to come to you and to be returned into a right relationship with you by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection and I speak for all the believers to say we have put our faith in you, Jesus. We put our faith in you. God, I pray that someone with us today, you're leading them and drawing them, they'd be able to say that for the first time today. Our faith is in you. And as we walk and as we move through life we, got, we, need to, we need to change. We need to be transformed. We need, we need our minds changed and our hearts changed, God. In the power of the Spirit, teach us. Show us where in our life we've been people pleasers, where we have put someone else or something else or put ourselves on the throne. Teach us to trust this message. This message of freedom, this message of hope, this message of grace that there's nothing we can do to earn salvation and rightness before you, that it's your work, it's your grace. And we accept that through faith. We don't have to pre-qualify for it and we don't have to add anything to it. But that in that grace, you have a life that you want us to live. You have a mission you want us to fulfill, just like Paul did. And in order to see that happen, and in order for that change to happen in our life, in order to do those things that you want us to do, we have to daily put our faith in you. And Jesus, we have to put you on the throne of our life. And that's a process, and you understand that. But we want to root out and find all the places where someone else, something else, or ourselves are on that throne. 
So show that to us now. Cross the room, whatever it is for us as individuals. Show us where, Jesus, you are not on the throne. Where we've believed some lie, where we have uh, gone back into worldly thinking or just tried to trust our ability to reason or rationalize or where we've given into our own desires, where we're justifying those things. Show us what those things are so that today we can make a commitment right now, Jesus, to you, to place you on the throne of our life as a whole in that area. We thank you that you've given us the word. Without the word, we would be, we would be lost. Without this scripture to trust, it would just be an open forum of human ideas and we don't want to live there. We want to know what is true. We want to know what is trustworthy. We want to know what is timeless. We want to know what is supernatural. We want to know what you say and we want to build our life on what you say. So continue to teach us, to mold us and to shape us, to show us the things you need to show us, to challenge us in the ways that you need to challenge us, to encourage us in the ways that you need to encourage us so that we can become more and more like your son. In all of this today, God, every commitment that we make, every step we take closer to you, we pray that you are glorified through it. That our life would be a representation of the gospel. And so we take all of this and we thank you for it and we lift it up to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.